This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Really glad you're here. Alex, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? Real good. I'm in New Orleans right now on a little mastermind retreat with life in there, and uh, it's really good to hang out with these folks. And um, so I'm on my phone. I don't have my mic. We apologize in advance for the uh, poor audio quality. I mean, not like it's good anyway <laughs> to begin with, but... <laughs> It's it's not as good this time, but um, we got a special guest, and I really wanted to interview Josh uh, today because uh, he's in the middle of a, a product launch for his middleman income, um, um, but uh, he's got an amazing story, and I really like what he's doing. First, um, Alex, I wanted to uh, read some uh, reviews in iTunes. You know we're up to 119 five-star reviews right now? About That's 133. Great. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And we're, st- we're number two in iTunes. If you search for real estate investing, we're number two. We've got a long ways to go before we ever catch Sean Terry and his great podcast. Flip to oh, freedom. But, yeah. uh, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's a great podcast. There are so many good podcasts out there right now. I was just listening to uh, the Real Estate Strategy Lab the other day, and uh, these guys are out in L.A., and they interviewed you, Josh, and uh, that's what made me think, man, i got to interview Josh. These sure. guys can get him. I can get him. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. It's a good interview, but um, so let me let me read one of these reviews real quick. I'm in the hotel lobby. Um, one of them is from uh, Matt Larson. This is a, thanks, guys. I owe you many beers. Five-star reviews. Joe and Alex, Happy New Year. I just wanted to thank you guys for the awesome content, strategies, and motivation. Get this, Alex. In December, I flipped 12 properties and made some good money, but there's a dollar sign. Now I know this is the real deal. Do you think you have to do 12 deals? Because now I know this is the real deal. I just started RE investing in mid-2012 and got almost all my education from your podcast and another guy's podcast initials ST, Sean Terry. Uh, of course, you got more education from us. Well, but, that's probably um, true. <laughs> right, right, right. And Matt says here, I purchased very little educational material in seminars and pretty much winged it with the info from your podcasts and websites, and it worked. Hope to meet you guys sometime soon and team up on some deals. FYI, I'm in the Tampa St. Pete market. Keep up the good work and great content. I owe you beers on me. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. <laughs> Wow. Maybe we need we, to interview uh, him. I know. Okay, Josh, we'll talk to you later. Sounds <laughs> all good. Thanks for your me. No, no, no. But we got some more reviews. Uh, we got we to gotta keep this interview short, shorter than normal. And uh, so I, let's just jump right in it. Um, Mr. Josh Cantwell, from, you're in Cleveland, Ohio, is that right? You bet. You bet, Cleveland, Ohio, the, uh, the sunshine capital of the world. We get uh, we get sunshine about uh, maybe three or four weeks a year here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Cleveland, Ohio, man, born and raised, and uh, love it here. Great time. That's crazy. I've been to Cleveland, and uh, I think it was at um, the Ohio Convention, Real Estate Convention. Yeah, the O'Rea. Yeah, the O'Rea is the one largest one in, in the country, I believe. At least I've heard off and on. Um, it's big. The uh, Ohio Real Estate Investor Association meeting once a year is, is huge. Um, I yeah. uh, haven't been there, though. I, I actually haven't made it to that convention. I need to get there sometime soon. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really good. I was one of the speakers and uh, just had a blast. It's really well run. Ohio uh, should be proud. It has such a great uh, a group of RIAs out there. But um, Josh, you got an amazing story. And uh, Alex, feel free to chime in. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm hogging this introduction. And no, it's okay, man. I would say we have uh, we have a goal here uh, to get to get through this um, yeah. and get the great information out there as fast as possible. So, not a problem at all. But um, Josh, you, I remember back in the day, weren't you involved in uh, short sales, really heavy? 
at one point? Yeah. Yeah. Or are you still doing that? Yeah, I got started investing in real estate in 2003. Um, I was a financial planner for uh, six or seven years and noticed that, you know, my most uh, successful clients didn't necessarily have all their money with me in uh, in the stock market. They uh, owned real estate, and I took notice and uh, started getting some education and reading books and listening to interviews like this and that type of thing. And uh, got really heavy into short sales in 2004, and um, you know we were, we were, that was our business model: buying and uh, flipping, fixing, selling short sales. And in 2005, 2006, 2007, we were uh, fortunate enough and worked hard enough that we did over a million dollars in uh, gross profits each of those three years buying and flipping short sales and, uh, wow. you know, surrounded myself with some really, really smart people, um, had some really great staff, a great business partner, a good attorney, and, um, you know, really just dominated our local area. And then in um, 2006, we created some software to run that business for us. And then in 2007, we actually stepped out and started teaching about short sales. So that's, that's where I got started in this business for sure. Wow, and so um, talk a little bit, Josh. You uh, had a little. How did you find out you had the cancer? Back this is yeah. uh, the summer or the fall of 2011. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I, uh, you know, for years back 2008 to give you an idea was the first time I went to the hospital with uh, with significant lower back pain. Um, I was newly married. I had my first kid, and um, I actually remember I was doing a, a seminar in Vegas. And uh, the night before, I was supposed to fly to Vegas, and I went to the hospital with excruciating back pain. And for three years, I was at the hospital off and on um, for that back pain, but they never, you know, never did a CT scan. And finally, in the summer 2011, in July, I actually felt a, a pretty significant lump or a mass in my stomach, in the, the front, like sort of left side underneath my rib cage, And... Uh, I thought to myself, like, wow, that that can't be uh, that can't be good, um, you know, because mm. it was it, it wasn't like a little pea, it wasn't like a golf ball, it was more like having a, a watermelon in my stomach, and uh, you know, my wife was at that time. I uh, you know I remember just like all you guys that have kids that are that are listening to this interview, you know, any normal day, come home from work, I'm laying on the ground playing with my kids and uh, looking up at the ceiling fan, and. Uh, you know, we're roughhousing and wrestling and having fun, and I just kind of set my hands across my stomach, and I felt on the left side sort of a, a lump sticking out, and on the right side there was no lump, and I told my wife, hey, come over, check this out, and we're like, wow, this, you know, this can't be good, but my wife at that time was, was eight and a half months pregnant, and oh, my son yeah. Dominic was, he was, was coming, and we knew that there were problems with my son as well. My, my son um, had a a cyst in his neck, actually, while he was um, hmm. in the womb. And and we knew it was going to be a problem. And my wife ended up having to have an emergency C-section, and my son was born, and he had, uh, you know, this, this cyst um, that was uh, connected to his esophagus on the left side. And when he was born, it was, you know, emergency C-section. They wanted to make sure he could breathe. We were able to bring him home, you know, three days later like any any newborn but wow. two weeks oh, later, great. yeah, it was great for a while. Two weeks later, the cyst started to stick out of his neck to the point where, uh, you know, we knew he was having trouble breathing. And one night we had an episode where he started, he started turning blue, you know. And uh, so we ran him down to the hospital. And so if you can imagine yourself as a, as a parent, and even if you don't have parents, you know, you might have nieces and nephews or people that you are important to you, you know. I, uh, I knew I had a serious health problem of my own, and my son was back in the hospital um, having surgery, and he was only two weeks old. And, you know, after he had his surgery, thank God it went well. And, and uh, you know, my wife said, you know, it's time, Josh. You have to go get that thing checked out. And, wow. uh, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget after I got my CT scan, um, you know, getting a call from the hospital and I'm saying, you know, hey, uh, we need you to come to the hospital immediately. Um, and when you get that call, it's it's never good. So, um, 
Yeah, I was diagnosed on September 12, 2011, uh, with pancreatic cancer. So, pretty amazing. Uh, last summer was last year was an amazing year for me. Pancreatic cancer. And how old are you, Doug? Um, I'm 36. I was uh, just just turned 35 uh, when I was diagnosed. Dang. I can't imagine. I mean, I I have four kids of my own, and uh, I can't imagine the uh, must have been going through your head thinking about your wife and your family when you got that diagnosis. Yeah, you know, it's it's something I think that nobody really wants to experience, and maybe. Um, you know, you never really, really know until you're in the middle of it. Um, the way the approach I took was, is that there was a reason for it. You know, um, God had a reason why that he wanted me to go through that. And what I told myself in the beginning is, is just like every day of my life and every day of your lives, guys, and the people who are listening to this, um, there's lessons to be learned every day. Um, and it could be a, you know, normal day, wake up, grab a coffee, go to work, come home, you know, um, and, but there's lessons to be learned. And I told myself, I'm, I'm not going to go through this experience and allow myself to, to not notice the lessons. Um, and so I took notice right away of everything around me, what was going on, you know, things that the doctors were saying, things that my friends and family were saying, um, how I was treating my kids, how I was, um, you know, working with my employees and staff. And I took notice of everything because I knew there were going to be lessons that I was going to learn. And I didn't know those lessons, you know, every day as I was in the middle of it. But I knew at the end um, I some of these lessons would come come to the front. And yeah. they, they did. You know, by the time it was over, I learned a lot. <laughs> wow. So what did the doctors tell you? How much Did they give you a time frame of how much longer you had to live or something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I was... You know, when I first got the diagnosis, um, and I was first with my general practice doctor who told me, and then he walked me upstairs to meet with an oncologist. The oncologist explained to me that, you know, pancreatic cancer is a killer. You know, um, it's a deadly disease for most people. And, um, but he think, he thought I was, um, had, had, a, a rare version of pancreatic cancer. Most people who get pancreatic cancer get the the most aggressive version. The most common version is also the most aggressive version. Um, and the version that I had was more of a slow grower, but it it was it was inside of me so long. Um, doctor said, you know, three to five years or longer, that the cancer was actually the size of a basketball. Oh wow! It was the size of a basketball. It was uh, you know I, I don't want to get too graphic here, but it was, you know, 10 inches by 11 inches by 9 inches. It was it was that big. It was as big as your head. And this was and just was like sitting, in, sitting in between your rib cage pretty much? Yeah. You know, the thing about pancreatic cancer and the reason why it's, uh, it's an incredibly um, powerful disease, and I say powerful because it's a killer. It, it, it deserves the utmost respect because... Um, you know, your pancreas sits way low in your back by your spine, in the, in, in, the, in the deep part of your abdomen, way back by your spine, and your, your pancreas is a very small organ. Um, so when cancer originates from the pancreas, it's so deep in your abdomen, most people don't know they have it. Um, wow. And it takes sometimes years for it to develop. And in my case, it was, you know, it was growing for three to five years. So you can imagine having your pancreas in, in the low part of your back and I could feel the lump in the front of my stomach. Mm. Holy cow. No, Josh, are you a big guy? Or were you sure, a big guy yeah, in shape? Yeah, definitely. Um when, before I went in for surgery, you know, I'm I'm six two, I was two hundred and thirty five pounds and uh, you know, about eight percent body fat. I, I was in really wow. good shape. I take care of myself. I played college football. Um so I've always, you know, really enjoyed going to the gym and actually the best place to get business done. Um, and to really think outside of your business is is in the gym. Yeah. So I've mm. always thought of, of the gym as my best place really? to come up with ideas and the best place for me to to think through systems and think about evaluating my company because you know I'm able to think at a very high level. So I've always enjoyed the gym not just because of fitness but because of the opportunity to think about 
what was going on in my life and think about what was going on with my company. So I was I was in great shape, um, and so well, yeah, when when you're in good shape, you think, man, you know, uh, I'm indestructible, and then I was brought to my knees pretty quick, <laughs> to say the least. Wow. So so when you've got <clears throat> 300 pounds weighing sitting over your face, that's the best time to to think about uh, your business, huh? <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Maybe not with the 300 pounds is directly over you, but shortly after you get off the machine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. After you feel, do you feel that exhilaration that you just did it? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I get, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being in the gym and, and, and being physically fit gives, I, I would think, it gives me and it would give everyone else a, uh, a sense of confidence. And when you have a sense of yeah, confidence. Yeah, an accomplishment. It, yeah, absolutely. An accomplishment. It, it allows you to think bigger. It allows you to think outside the box. So that's been a big part of my life, not because I wanted to be some super buff guy, but because of the mental uh, and emotional uh, sort of leveling that it gave me. Um, and so yeah. I've always enjoyed that, that part of my life. Wow. So did the doctors say, you know, how serious it was or how much longer you, they thought you had to live? Did you think about um, death? Yeah, he, you know, they never told me, hey, Josh, you have a certain amount of time to live. What they told me was, um, you know, that I, I was a, a candidate for surgery because um, because I had this slower-growing version, although it was very, very advanced. So my official diagnosis was stage 2. Um, neuroendocrine pancreatic cancer. The challenge was is that the cancer was so big it was um, it was pressing on and wrapped up into all my other organs. So mm-hmm. you know you can imagine when you get prepared for surgery, you have to sign off on a disclosure form saying, "Hey, we might need to do this, we might need to do that." And you know when they tell you, "Hey, we might need to take out your stomach, we might need to take out your gallbladder, your spleen, we might." You don't have to take part of your colon. We might have to, um, you know, take part of your liver. And you have to sign this this disclosure saying that they might have to do all these different things. You know, you know you're talking serious, serious business. Talk and, about a uh, waiver. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so it really didn't wow. hit me until I had to sign that disclosure, which was about 10 days before my surgery. Um, authorizing the surgeon to basically do what was it, what was it, whatever was necessary. Um, and the fear was, for me, was is that because the cancer and the tumor was so advanced, it was so big, that they wouldn't be able to get it out. And that's ultimately the, the big lesson that I learned at the end. Um, and the number one thing that, that I want to tell your audience and tell you guys is something I heard from my oncologist. When my, when my surgery was wrapped up and it was over and I was lucky that I had an amazing surgeon who pulled off you know, the surgery of the century, really. Um, My oncologist said to me, he said, Josh, you know, he said, you had a daring surgeon. And I said, you know, what what do you mean? And uh, he said to me, he said, Josh, he said, you know, 95% of surgeons would have never been able to pull that off. They would have seen how complicated it was, um, how the cancer was wrapped up in all these other organs, and they would have opened you up, saw what was going on, they would have sewn you back up and sent you home and said, there's nothing we can do. Wow. And so they said, you know, you had a daring surgeon. So my number one lesson I've learned through this process is to be daring. Because if I didn't have a daring surgeon, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Um, and so that's that's the number one thing I live by today is to be daring. Because, you know, you can always come back from uh, financial catastrophe. Um, it's the things that we need to stretch. We need to take ourselves to the next level. And unless you're willing to be daring and try new things and do new things, you know, you'll never really accomplish anything significant in your life. And for me, you know, this guy saved my life because he was daring. Um, and so that's that's the number one lesson I've learned in this whole process is is as I go out and you know, as a father, as a husband, as as a business person, um, you know, as a son, as a brother, you know, I'm going to be daring in those relationships. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the best I can. I'm gonna try new things. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and you know, things that I maybe don't think are possible. I'm gonna try to do anyway, um, because if my surgeon hadn't tried something, 
that most guys couldn't do or wouldn't do, I wouldn't be here. That's a real good point. I like that a lot. I mean, I, I look at my own career in real estate and, and jumping ship from my leaving my job and starting to do this stuff full time. I could never have done that unless I was really willing to be daring and uh, right. take that leap. Faith. You bet. You bet. That's what it's all about. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I went into surgery thinking that it was a pretty. I had a pretty good diagnosis in that if they could get the cancer and the tumor out. I would be okay. And, you know, when I, when I woke up, I learned, you know, just how significant it was. I mean, the, the, the cancer was, was enormous. Um, they took out my stomach. They took my spleen, my gallbladder. Um, they had to reconstruct all of the veins and arteries behind my liver because those were all damaged. I had to take, um, you know, some arteries outside, out of my leg and put them into the back of my liver to reconstruct all of that. Um, you know, it was uh, it was a 10-hour surgery, and it took me about three months until I got back on my feet. Um, you know, I was basically out of work and off of work for six months in 2011 and early 2012. Um, and, you know, thank God for my real estate business because my real estate business was still producing income, still producing revenue, um, and and pretty automated even though I was, you know, basically recovering. I was home every day in my sweatpants and my sweatshirt and, you know, just going through the recovery process. And I didn't have to put a lot of time into my real estate companies because they're fairly automated and we're able to make money uh, every month. Um, whether I show up or not, you know, the companies need a little bit of attention, but not a ton of attention from me. And yeah. so... You know, I thank God every day for my real estate companies because without those, you know, most people wouldn't have an income if they stepped away from work like I did. Oh, yeah. Well, you, um, let's talk about that some more then. You've got, um, you've got a pretty, I mean, how, how big is your real estate business? Um, do, you have, do you have staff and, and uh, how many deals do you do, things like that? Yeah, great question. Yeah. Um, I have uh, a couple different parts of my real estate business. I focus on really seven revenue pillars. Um, and the reason why those seven um, I can do all at the same time is because I own a brokerage office as well. So I own a brokerage with about a dozen real estate agents that work for that company. Um, I'm not a licensed agent. I'm not a licensed broker either, but I do own the company. I own the LLC. And I have a broker who's the managing broker who is my partner um, who who uh, you know kind of runs compliance. So I'm able to buy a significant amount of REOs um, and HUD homes that we rehab. We have a really big construction company, and we are rehabbing, fixing up, and selling anywhere between 10 to 15 uh, properties at any one time. So if I looked at my inventory right now, uh, we have 12 construction projects going on right now, and we don't do uh, one of those construction projects, one of these, you know, renovation projects, unless we can make at least $40,000. Um, and so, you know, just the 12 that we have in our inventory, after all expenses, all of our, you know, crews, all of our materials, all of the holding costs, you know, we shoot to make $40,000. Um, and so that's a half a million dollar a year business right there in and of itself, just on those 12 deals. We typically turn properties over every six months. So, the private lenders and investors that, that I've recruited and grown over the last, uh, really over the last two years, I've been focusing on raising money. Um, you know, I can put somebody's money in play, buy a house, fix it, and sell it in six months, and then use their money a second time in a year. So we're able to pay our private money partners a pretty significant rate of return, you know, 15 to 30% um, on their money. So guys love investing um, and partnering with me on these these deals because we're able to, to make a significant amount of money ourselves and then and then a significant amount of money for them too. Um, right. So the brokerage was what allows that to happen because my my real estate agents are really my acquisitions managers. They're they're getting a real estate commission, but they are actively searching for properties for me as an investor all day every day. Um, right. And so we carry we carry like seventy to eighty. Yeah, it's fantastic, man, because, 
it's fantastic. I, I really kind of stumbled into it. Um, we set up our brokerage office in 2007 to basically support our investment business because we didn't want to give the commissions away to an outside agent. And then mm-hmm. over time, I realized, hey, these are, these are guys who are already willing to work on commission um, and want to work on commission, and they love real estate. So I'm going to teach them how to be great realtors, but at the same time, I'm going to teach them how to look at properties from an investor's perspective so that they can evaluate properties and bring them to me, and they can get a buyer's agent commission or a listing agent commission, and I can get a lot of inventory to buy as an investor. Um, And so, you know, I'm looking at lease option assignments. I'm looking at short sales, um, REOs and HUD homes um, all day, every day. Um, We have 80 listings right now inside of my brokerage, and a number of those properties are mine. A significant amount of those properties are mine that that I have either that's an REO that I bought and selling, it's a short sale that we're negotiating that I'm trying to, to buy, fix, and sell, it's a lease option assignment or a middleman income deal that we're acquiring and selling. Um, and so we do a significant amount of transactions, but it's very automated because of the brokerage, because these real estate agents are out there as a built-in sales force. Very good. Uh, that's great. So are you doing any private seller marketing? Uh, probably zero? <laughs> uh, we, we do very little, um, but we do do direct mail on a monthly basis. Um, okay. We do still go after expired listings and notice mm-hmm. of defaults every month through direct mail. And I also have a couple real estate agents who are just beasts on the phone. So they don't even care if I send direct mail. They just want the list of expired. They want the list of notices of default. And they want phone numbers. And they just want me to get the the numbers skip traced. We load those into the RedX, and the RedX spits out updated phone numbers for us. We also have another couple skip tracing services we use. We try to get as many active phone numbers as possible. And then I have a couple of these agents, really two, who are just beasts at getting on the phone and calling up notice of defaults and, and expireds and then going on listing appointments. And then when they get listings, I get to make the offer. I get to make, I get to, yeah. you know, I get to, I get first sort of right of refusal, if you will, to see if that's a property that I think I want to buy. Wow. Absolutely. So you understand marketing, Josh. You understand how to find the deals. What are, what are some of your favorite ways of, of, marketing let's talk specifically more for direct marketing and and i know you've mentioned direct mail um is that it are there other forms of marketing that you do sure um favorite kind well i'm a big big proponent of center of influence marketing and and sphere marketing um Mm -hmm. you know most real estate agents when they when they're when they on board with a, a new broker and they get out of you know real estate school and they have their license nobody really ever teaches them how to market well um i know that just each one of my agents you know there's 12 of them they probably have 5 to 10 transactions each just within their sphere and their center of influence so i'm a really big proponent of getting the word out to the people that you know um yeah. Because there's there's short sales in there, there are for sale by owners in there. There's uh, middleman income deals. There's there's lease options, lease option assignments, right in that sphere. So I send out a monthly newsletter to over 500 people in my own sphere, just basically to 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 raise private capital and to be the top of mind reference for these people when they're looking to sell a home or they know someone who's looking to sell a home. And that we typically onboard two to three deals a month just from that. Um, wow. I'm also a big fan of direct mail. Um, not because direct mail works extremely well. I mean, direct mail works like it should. You know, we get a 2 to 10% response rate depending on what, what kind of mailing we're doing. But the mailing sets up the opportunity to get on the phone. Um, I believe that being a real estate agent and also being a real estate investor is a contact sport. Um, and so um, the phone and email and Skype and those kind of things are all contact points. And those are different ways to communicate with homeowners when most people uh, avoid the phone. You know, they, they avoid, they want to do things virtually, which is great. 
and I'm, I'm a big proponent of virtual investing, but I believe the phone now, because of Facebook, because of Twitter, because of Skype, because of email, because of texting, the phone is a very old school way to do business, but it's the most effective way. It's the most effective way to create a relationship. So we do direct mail so that we can also phone call. Um, yeah. And I also buy a lot of REOs and HUD homes, and that doesn't require any marketing. Um, you know, that's, those are properties that are in the MLS or they're on a site like Homesteps or HomePath um, or the HUDHomestore.com, uh, and we're able to go right into those sites and, and into our MLS and, and find properties that are just listed that are bank-owned, that are Fannie, Freddie, um, you know, and, and HUD homes. So that's, for the most part, that's the marketing that we do uh, for that business. Now, on, on the middleman income side, on the lease option side, we get almost all of our seller leads from Craigslist. Uh, we sounds have a familiar. series of emails. <laughs> yeah, sounds familiar, right? I know you guys do the same thing. Um, I mean, there's homeowners everywhere on Craigslist for free that, that are marketing their properties for sale by owner. There's homeowners that have two payments, double payments. They're trying to unload. They're, they're a landlord by default. They have to yep. – uh, they're, they're a landlord not because they want to be, but because they have to be, because they have two payments. Um, that's an ideal target market for uh, lease options, lease option assignments, um, and taking over properties on terms. Um, so we do a significant amount of that. I have a VA um, that from the Philippines that logs into one of my local computers, so we have a local IP address. Um, and then she emails hundreds of people every day um, the same five different emails that I've written, and we get uh, people, you know, responding back saying, hey, you know, I, I, I want to learn what you have to offer. I'm interested in, in talking to you about this because, you know, I'm sick of making this payment. I can't afford it anymore. Um, and so direct mail is great, but really Craigslist um, is, is an awesome way to be a real estate investor because it's completely free. I love Craigslist, and uh, I, I market all the time on Craigslist. Um, what, uh, can you give just a general synopsis of what your email says that you that the VA sends out? Right. So we have um, a couple different versions. One version in particular is from the real estate agent. So we take one okay. approach from the real estate agent saying, hey, I have um, – a, uh, a buyer who's looking to buy in that area, can you just call me? So we just, because again, we want them to pick up the phone and call the real estate agent. And then the real estate agent is basically representing me as a, uh, a, a lease option or a terms investor. So yeah. I believe whether we like it or not, real estate agents have a perception of being more credible than us investors. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, that's just that's just how it goes. Um, so yeah. homeowners will respond to a real estate agent who says, "I have a buyer for your home. Will you call me?" Um, they respond to those those realtors very well. So one of the things I would recommend as an investor or as a lease option investor um, is to partner up with a realtor who will help you do the marketing because it's great to have two approaches: one approach from re the realtor and one approach from from the investor. Um, the, the other approach as an investor that I take is to simply say, hey, I saw your property is on the market and I want to get to know more about it. I really don't say anything about terms or lease options or anything like that. I see your property is on the market. I see you're asking blah, 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 blah. Uh, can you please call me back and I, I want to get some more detail? Because, again, I'm a firm believer that once we're on the phone with somebody, we have a significant leg up, and well, we have you the can opportunity. also. I was just going to say, since you're working with realtors, you can do so many things. You can do so many different things with this person. You can list it, you can buy it, you could lease option it, you could help them find a tenant, help them do a short sale. Uh, that that's fantastic. I like it. You name it, you name it. I believe if if you know, there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast who are very experienced in real estate. And my number one piece of advice to them, if they've, you know, if they've already done, let's say, 50 deals or more, they really should think about and consider owning a brokerage office 
and recruiting real estate agents onto their team hmm. so that they can leverage their time and their talent through an all-commission sales force. Um, because real estate agents love having a built-in buyer, which is exactly what I am and exactly what you guys are. And, wow. you know, if there's a an experience, other experienced people listening to this, which I'm sure there's thousands of them, they really need to consider bolting on a brokerage. And it doesn't have to be a big brokerage. They don't have to have 50 agents or even 12 like I do. If they have two other agents or three who will go out and mail, do direct mail, go out and look at HUD homes and REOs, go out and, and do the marketing on Craigslist, these agents love the fact that I'm a built-in buyer, that, that I know what I'm doing, I can execute contracts, and um, – my job then becomes, because I don't have to do a lot of marketing, the agents are doing the marketing, my job becomes raising capital. So that's what I love to do is raise money because I have more deals now than I can, you know, than, uh, than I really need. And so I, my job is raising all the capital that I need to fund every good deal that comes across my desk. That's fantastic. I've never heard it that way. I think, um, I think I know what I'm going to look at doing here pretty soon. <laughs> I mean, because I've been Josh. thinking of, I've been thinking about doing something similar to where I was like, maybe I should uh, start some type of a private RIA group and and have people go out and do that. But if you were able to partner and and uh, with a realtor and a brokerage, I mean, that would make a lot more sense and keep a lot more people from running away and doing it on their own and uh, taking what you're doing and you know, use it for their own benefit. Yeah, you're <laughs> well, you exactly know, right. That's a huge point you just made because I used to do that. When I, when 2004, when I became a, a, a very, very big short sale investor, we created what we called an apprentice program. And I yeah. had 10 guys that we brought in, friends and family mostly, who came in and we would train them every Thursday night at our office and they worked in teams of two. So we had five teams, ten guys, who they would go out and they were basically calling the NOD list. They were looking on, on uh, online, on websites for deals. They were marketing on Craigslist. Well, over time, a couple of those guys, four of them, became really successful working under mm -hmm. me. And sure enough, they all eventually branched off and wanted to own their own company. And they did. And we're still friends with them and we hang out with them all the time, and they're some of my closest friends, but they are running their own real estate investment company, and they're basically competition for me now. But Absolutely. they're my buddy, and I could care, I could care less. Um, the other six, you know, didn't get it or didn't put in the time or whatever, so they went back to the you know, corporate world. Either way, I, I learned my lesson from that. I said, look, you know, that, that worked, but it didn't work long term. And so starting like a local RIA group or recruiting other investors to work underneath you as like an apprentice, I think is a great idea, but I don't think that's a great long-term strategy. Long-term, I think the better route is to, to start a brokerage, recruit a managing broker to, be, to have the license and to manage compliance and manage, you know, the MLS and all that type of stuff, and recruit real estate agents because I'm I'm surprised that my real estate agents don't want to be real estate investors. Yeah. They just don't. But I'm teaching them how to be real estate investors every day because I'm teaching them exactly what I do, but they don't have the interest or they maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're earning so much commission working with me, which a lot of them are earning a substantial amount of commission, they don't want to rock the boat, so they don't want to be a real estate investor. So that's, to me, the ultimate long-term strategy, which we deployed that about two years ago. We've been building the brokerage for the last couple of years. Obviously, with my health last year, had to take some time away from that. Um, but, guys, long-term and, you know, any of the people listening to this, but, yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing that if you're new and you're just getting started. But if you have some experience, that's the ultimate way to go. Well, and even if you're new, you could still have realtors work for you, couldn't you? And then what are some approaches, Josh, that you could partner with realtors like that if you're new and, you you know, you don't need you, – you can't buy a brokerage or create a brokerage right. yet? Yeah, great question. Um, and I, I get that question a lot, which is, hey, 
you know, I'm doing a couple deals a year um, or I'm doing one deal a month, you know, how, how do I deploy that strategy without bolting on a brokerage and owning a brokerage? Well, what I would recommend is going and uh, meeting uh, realtors who are investor-friendly, going to the Real Club meetings, uh, going to the brokerage offices, networking with, with uh, title companies and real estate attorneys, and trying to find just one or two real estate agents who are investor-friendly um, and partnering with them and saying, look, you know, you, you work with investors all the time. Um, I'm looking for more properties to buy. You're looking for more commission. Um, you know, why don't we why don't we work more on a partnership type of type of basis where you look for properties for me, and I will buy those properties, and you can get paid uh, you know a lot more commission because I'm going to be buying regularly. I'm going to be buying every month or every every other month or you know, ho- however often somebody buys. So. Uh, you know, realtors are sick of people. They're sick of investors who who say that they have a lot of experience, who say that they have a lot of capital, and then never close. Okay? I mean, I own a brokerage, so we, we come across those guys all the time. And, you know, I, I, I try to work with them and, and, and basically teach them what I do so, so they'll buy more properties and we'll earn more commissions. But your average real estate agent is sick of the – uh, sort of poser investor, yeah. Who says, "Oh, I got all this money," and, and but then when it comes down to it, you know, they they don't have any cash, and they, their credit stinks, and and they're trying to buy properties, and 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 they're just not doing it the right way. Um, realtors are sick of those people. So when a realtor finds a, a really good investor who does what they say they're going to do, and and can execute, that realtor will come back to that trough as often as possible. Um, and so you got to be able to execute is the point. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're back. We uh, had some technical difficulties and we lost our, our recording. So I got Josh back on the line here. And, and before we ended this interview, and it's been really, really good, Josh, and we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Alex and I, we wanted to talk to you about this thing, middleman income. You've mentioned it a few times already. You've mentioned the whole thing of lease option assignments. And that's near and dear to my heart. I think it's a great strategy for people just getting started. It's a great way to make fast, quick cash. Um, talk about how, you know, your story with cancer and all of that, how does that relate to what you guys were doing at the time with lease option assignments? Yeah, great question. Um, so when I knew I was going in for surgery, I, um, you know, I had I had been building my investment business and, I was, you know, doing rehabs and I owned my brokerage and of course I've been doing lease option assignments and what was great was while I was in the hospital recovering, we were able to close a number of middlemen income transactions because I had my agents that I mentioned earlier uh, doing some bird dogging and, and looking for seller leads and we generate buyer leads online through a VA who does a, a bunch of postings on Craigslist and even though I was, you know, on a hospital bed with a giant incision in my stomach and I lost 50 pounds and totally out of work for three months and another another three months dealing with my son, we were able to close a number of lease option assignment transactions because I was able to automate the business for the most part, having my acquisitions managers, who are also my real estate agents, bring me deals and then connecting them with the buyer leads we were getting online. And so middleman income is is the course, it's the training, it's it's nine module training class of exactly how I did that while I was in the hospital, how we found seller leads, the contracts that we use. I use a letter of intent which is which is really uh what we call the magic document because most investors are um, a little bit intimidated by the paperwork or filling out the paperwork on their own. And so what we do is we use a letter of intent. So whether it's myself or one of my real estate agents or one of my other investor partners meet with the seller, or you, what's great is you can do it right online. You can do it virtually. Is You fill out the letter of intent and you agree to the terms, the purchase price, the rent rate, the option deposit, um, the option period, etc. And then we hand off that letter of intent 
to our attorney. And the attorney actually strokes the documents. So that can all be that all could be done while I was sick. Okay? And then strokes the documents and then we just look for a buyer. And then again I had the real estate agents, my basically my acquisitions people, go show the property to these buyers and people were scooping up these properties and then they would meet with the attorney and the attorney would basically replace me with the new buyer. And so the middleman income product is it's a combination of my story of recovering from pancreatic cancer as well as how I was able to continue uh, making money, making income as a real estate investor virtually basically from my hospital bed. And um, I think a lot of people can relate to that because it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, they don't have to have cancer to relate. You know, they could mm-hmm. maybe have a limited time or limited resources or, you know, maybe it's a husband and wife and they're both working and they have four kids and they have a lot of other commitments. Um, this business, this middleman income business can be done with very limited time and very limited resources because, look, man, when you're in the hospital, you you don't have any time. You don't have any resources. You, you, I mean, you, and I was able to continue to close transactions, you know, basically while I was recovering. And so, you know, if I could do it under those circumstances, anybody anybody can do this business. And I'm really proud of the product. People love it. We have a 95% satisfaction rate uh, with the product. Uh, very few people. Um, you know, ever have a problem or a refund, people love it because it works. It worked for me while I was sick, and it will work for, for your people, too. Well, Josh, that it sounds, sounds like... like... I'm sorry, Alex, go ahead. I said that sounds great. I mean, there's no excuses anymore if somebody um, who had some major surgery is making money from their hospital bed, you know, and somebody who says, well, I got a full-time job, or... Well, I, you know, I, I I just don't know. I don't I don't have any money for marketing or, you know, any excuses they come up with. But <laughs> this kind of puts it out. You know, it doesn't even give any room for excuses anymore. Right. Yeah, I hate to say it, but um, nobody would have a bigger excuse than me <laughs> for not doing real estate because I had every excuse in the world. Um, but you know, I was able to take my knowledge and experience and continue to do this business. And and the Middleman Income course basically relates my experiences and the things that that I did and things I would do different um, starting over. If I I had limited time, limited resources, and I had limited energy, you know, I I, I had very little energy to do this business as well and were able to continue to close transactions. Um, So, you know, no... No, very few people would have the same excuse that I had. Um, so I'm able to put people's feet to the fire a little bit and say, look, if I could do it, you could do it. You have no excuse. Let's get rolling. Right. Hey, Josh, what what was your um, average middleman income deal? What what did you make on those, roughly? Yeah, great question. Our average uh, fee is about $4,500. Um I've gotten middleman income fees from $500 up to as high as $20,000. Um, and I have students who have done transactions upwards of $30,000 and $40,000 on higher-end properties. Um, I even had a student who did um, a similar type of transaction. It wasn't a lease option assignment, but it was actually a short sale using very similar paperwork, very similar exit strategy. Uh, it made $180,000. Um, but you can expect to make about 3 to 4% of whatever the sales price is. Uh, that's a very fair, accurate number based on the deals I've closed and the deals my students are closing, about 3 to 4%. Because what we try to do, we try to get 5% down from the buyer. Usually about 1% goes back to the seller for the first month's rent. And the remaining money, the remaining 3 to 4%, uh, comes to the investor, comes to us. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that wasn't a lease option assignment for $180,000. No, it wasn't. Like I said, it was, it was a very similar paperwork. We ended up using uh, a type of option contract 
Um, we ended up taking over the property under very similar type of strategy, but in that one we had to negotiate a short sale and uh, versus a lease option, and then we had the buyer step in and basically buy our option, just like a lease op a middleman income deal. The buyer steps in and basically buys our option. Um, so we've been able to successfully use the same type of strategy and very similar paperwork in other niches as well. Um, but that was not full disclosure, full transparency. That was not a middleman income deal, but very similar type of transaction. So the uh, bank actually financed the profit for this individual? Um, no, what happened was is the buyer actually brought in, this was a luxury home, the buyer actually brought in cash. Canadian ah. cash, because the buyer was willing to pay. Uh, it was it was 1.3 million. We were able to negotiate and get the property accepted at 900. The buyer stepped into our contract at 900 and paid my student 180 thousand dollars to basically buy their option. And so, so the like buyer got the property contract. for the buyer got the property for 1.1 instead of 1.3. Wow. So that's kind of like a release of contract, which all could be done with the same paperwork. You betcha. And that, that, exactly. And that's basically what happens inside of a middleman income deal is when we use the letter of intent and then we have the full agreement signed between the seller and the investor, and then we find our buyer, the buyer is basically stepping in and buying our option, and we're getting released from the contract. That's the same strategy. It's the same process. It's the same, you know, technically, the technical part of the contract is very, very similar. So this guy just ended up having to negotiate a short sale first, and then the buyer stepped in and bought out their contract, and it was a luxury home. And believe it or not, the buyer was actually an attorney. The buyer was an attorney. And the buyer was saying, hey, like, if you're going to give me this deal for 1.1 instead of 1.3, I will happily take it for 900000 and pay you a $180,000 uh, release of option fee. And that's the same type of thing that we do inside of middleman income. It works in lots of different types of properties, not just on, uh, you know, technically on lease options. It works in other ways, too. That's excellent. And it's real similar to, I know some of you guys listening to this are thinking, well, this is similar to what Joe already has in wholesaling lease options. That's true, but... Uh, the great thing about Josh, what you've done, is that you, you come at it from a different angle. And uh, I really like how you kind of simplify the paperwork with just that letter of intent. Um, I use also a one-page option agreement. But you've also brought in a lot of the, uh, which I have recently in the last few months have changed in my business. You're actually using attorneys and title companies um, to kind of handle the transaction which I think mm -hmm. is fantastic because that's another level that you can outsource. And the great thing about middleman income uh, and what we do is that there's, it's so easy to outsource these deals. You don't have to go meet with sellers. You don't have to go see the house. You don't have to negotiate anything really with them. And uh, you don't have to do the selling part and finding the buyers. You can outsource all of that. And you don't have to have mm -hmm. a big business like you do, Josh. You know, you don't have to have, uh, you know, 12 agents working under you. Um, you can you can get a virtual assistant to get you the leads for the sellers, and you can get a local realtor to advertise and sell your homes for you. And then you, you get a, in fact, that the attorney and title company that you use will do this for students all over the country, won't they? Yes. Yep. One of the attorneys that I've used in the past um, is uh, a fellow that you know, Joe, is Angelo Russo, yeah. and and he's very popular in my area. Closes these kind of transactions with lots of different investors. And um, also my other attorneys, David um, and Matt, have also closed these kind of transactions as well. So the great thing is when the attorney's involved, stroking the paperwork, doing the assignment agreement, uh, you know, filling out the disclosures and the addendums, I mean, it's practically bulletproof because if the buyer were ever to get upset or the seller were to get upset, well, they signed the documents right in front of the attorney who stroked the freaking agreements. So if they're going to sue you, not only can your attorney defend you, but he's going to have to defend himself, which is one of the great things about this. You know, you right, have an well, attorney who was sitting there witnessing this happen, so the chances of you being sued is, 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 is few and far between. I've never been sued 
um, on one of these transactions. And yeah. you know, I, I don't I don't see it as as any risk. I, I don't see it as even really an option when somebody's sitting there signing these paperwork in front of an attorney. The other thing Are that they, the attorney will will do is they will check to make sure that the property is not over encumbered. In other words, it's not uh, over leveraged or there's not liens and judgments because they'll do a preliminary title search on the property. They'll also mm -hmm. make sure the loan is current, and they'll also make sure that the person who's signing the documents is the actual owner on record. And then but, they'll also set it up where they'll have a third party will escrow the rent. Um, they'll, the, the third party can collect the rent and then pay the mortgage, so you know the mortgage is being paid every month. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's really cool about this, too, is that it helps source the tenant buyer's down payment in the future because, and this is important, a lot of people forget, that tenant buyer, if they can make that option deposit check out to a title company or an attorney, it just is a lot easier to be able to be used toward their future down payment as compared to if it was made out to Josh Cantwell or some investment company. Does that make sense? You bet. All that is documented through an escrow account, mm -hmm. and so when the buyer is ready to buy, all the down payments, all the rent payments, it can all be sourced, and there's right. proof, there's a ledger that shows what they've paid, where the money came from. So, you know, that's one of the tough things about the old way was, man, when a buyer was ready to get their mortgage loan, let's say in six months or 18 months or three years or whatever, Man, us as investors, we all of a sudden had to scramble to prove the down payment, to prove the rents. You know, I mean, some of these people want to pay with cash or they want to pay with money orders, and then it became a big hassle to try to prove it so they could get their 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 deposit credited, they could get their rent credits, they could, they yeah. could prove that they made the rent payments on time. That's all been taken care of now. It's fantastic. And, I mean, honestly, Josh, you do a lot of different deals. You do short sales and rehabs and REOs and wholesaling and fix and flip. And now these middleman income deals, what are the easiest deals that you that you do? <laughs> That's a loaded question, man. Oh, well, I know the answer. It's the easiest for sure because <laughs> yeah. no, no marketing expense or very little marketing expense for seller leads. It can be completely outsourced. It, it's, it can be very virtual if you want it to be. Attorney closes the transaction. The buyers are everywhere. I yeah. mean, the buyers are everywhere, and they're on Craigslist, and they're on Backpage, and they're on Sellpoint and Postlets, and they're on the Internet. So they're really easy to find. Um, and so, yeah, middleman income deals are the, the lowest effort, the least risk, and with a very substantial quick payday. Right, right. Well, that's hey, great. Joe, and, uh, yes, so these are uh, kind of like, are, you're not doing uh, subject twos where you're actually deeding the property, or you're just doing lease options specifically? Um, just lease options assignments. We, we have another strategy that we use for if the property has a lot of equity and we're able to take it over, um, but that, that's not part of the middleman income training program. That's part of a different program that I have, which is called Forever Passive Income. Uh, but the, the middleman income deals are not subject to's. We're not taking the deed. We're not taking title. We're not using any kind of trusts or anything like that. Uh, we're, we're getting the letter of intent, and we're getting a rental agreement signed with an option to purchase and a purchase agreement, and then we're assigning that to the buyer. And it's, it's very, to be honest with you, it's pretty basic paperwork. It's not confusing. Yeah. We're not splitting the atom here. We're not sending anybody to the moon. Uh, you know, it's just real estate contracts. It's pretty straightforward. Good. Well, and, and Josh, you're, you're running a special promotion right now. I like how you phrased it in the emails. It's the, the Josh is back discount. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Sure. Yeah, you bet. So, um, so it's been about a year since my surgery. And um, I've taken all the things I've learned uh, going through this process of getting cancer and, and then how I was able to run my businesses while I was sick and while I was away. And I've updated uh, my training course, Middleman Income. And we're about to put this product on the market. Um, and what we decided to do was to do a, a pre-release uh, with friends like you, Joe, and Alex, and some other guys, do a pre-release and give everybody basically half price. Um, and we're going to run that through, um, you know, the next couple of days. 
And uh, once this this uh, sort of half price promotion ends, uh, we're going to take the prop product you know off the off the market off the shelves. And then when we release it again, the price is going to be going to be doubled. Uh, the price is going to go up. So uh, the the program right now we decided. We've also enrolled with this guy's what we call the 10x challenge. Um, the 10x challenge is all about us finding a thousand investors who want to quit their jobs in the next 90 days and uh, want to make at least $100,000 a year, six-figure income doing MMI deals. Uh, so we're looking for a thousand people who want this half price and want to get going to use MMI. Uh, and, and what I love, Joe, about this interview with you is I know you teach a lot of the similar strategies. So your students will love this because it's oh, just yeah. an add-on on, on top of what you already teach. And yeah. usually, you know, when I find something I want to learn, let's say it's basket weaving or, you know, karate or whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy and consume everything I can on that, on that subject. Oh, yeah. And the fact that you already have a really great program, you add MMI on top of it, you get the half price discount for the next couple of days. Um, you know, it's fantastic. So we're looking for a thousand people that want to enroll, that want to quit their jobs, want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, and and this will be going on for the next couple of days. Well, you know, I already bought it, Josh. I've already gone through it, and uh, I'm thoroughly impressed. And uh, I think this is a, just a great supplement. I buy everything I can get my hands on, mostly. When it comes to lease options and wholesaling and uh, this type of subject, um, and there's several other courses out there, I buy everything and get my hands on, and I learn something new each time. It's it's just phenomenal, and uh, I, I've been through this. It's really really good, solid. Got great videos in there. You explain each piece of paperwork very thoroughly, which I appreciate. I, um, you have like one uh, one link for the file itself, the contract. Okay, one of you have like you. Three different types of contracts. And then you have a video just for that contract. And right. It's so easy to consume quickly and easily. Um, so that's awesome. And Josh, I appreciate you putting that together. And I, I haven't even asked you this. I hope it's okay. Um, I have a a course called Wholesaling Lease Options Simplified, and I'm going to throw it in as a bonus for anybody that uh, I'm going to give you guys a link here in a minute. Um, so if, if anybody. Uh, purchases. I'm going to give you the link, and if you if you invest in this, um, email me, and I'll go ahead and send you a, a free copy of my wholesaling lease options simplified course. And I think with these two, just be a you know, I mean, it's all you need, and it's just amazing. Um, so I'm going to throw that in. But let me give you guys the website. Uh, I'm going to give you two different websites, and uh, hopefully the. the the second one works, but the main one is going to be the realestateinvestingmastery.com, our podcast site, realestateinvestingmastery.com slash MMI, slash MMI for middleman income, okay? And the other website is uh, tinyurl.com slash middleman income, tinyurl.com slash middleman income. I just got that URL like five minutes ago, Josh, while you were talking. Sure. And uh, so, it, so check that out, or go to or if you go to the show notes for this podcast, it'll be on that page. Um, RealEstateInvestingMastery.com/slash/mmi. Oh. In three different places, but I, I highly recommend this. I can't highly recommend it enough. Josh has a really, really good coaching program, and I wish we could talk more about that. It's called Strategic Real Estate Coach, and I've heard just phenomenal things about it. It's a really, really good program. And uh, I wish we could spend more time talking about that. But you got to go. You're a busy guy, Josh. Uh, Alex, do you have anything you want to you want to end with? Anything final? No, I think um, I think we've uh, pretty much said it all. I mean, a cool thing is that you can pretty much. I mean, with, with this information, there's people that are out there that really can't sell their houses to traditional wholesaling um, investors or cash investors and. By you identifying that problem and being able to solve it puts you in a great position to capitalize, and especially if you use the uh, the techniques in the course by using an attorney. I mean, that was one of my concerns when I looked into uh, trying to incorporate it into my business. Was uh, man, these people could come back in the end and and be you know and be upset with me that I put them with somebody that didn't pay their rent. But by putting an attorney into the mix. Um, 
that uh, pretty much takes care of that. So, I mean, this is this is something that's great that anybody can implement and uh, start making money um, as soon as possible because there's just thousands of people out there that just need to sell, and then there's you know people that want to buy and they can't, and you put them together and you you you'll succeed. Voila, just like that. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't even talk about that, but there's gazillions of sellers out there. Even though the markets may be rebounding somewhat, there's still a ton of sellers out there that are upside down, don't have any equity. They have no option. They can't sell it to a realtor. They don't want to be a landlord. They don't. Uh, they can't do a short sale. They can't sell it to a traditional wholesaling uh, route, you know, at a deep discount. So it's just a perfect strategy for them. And there'll be sellers like that for a long time to come. So, well, thanks again, Josh. Awesome, guys. Appreciate you having me on. I had a blast. All right. So we'll talk to you guys later. Guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com slash MMI, realestateinvestingmastery.com slash MMI, or just go to the show notes of this podcast and uh, you get some more information. Don't forget to email me your receipt. I'll give you free access to my um, simplified course. So, All right, guys. See you later. Thanks again, Josh. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.